Welcome to episode six of TASA's Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Eric Simpson, and on today's episode, we'll take a look at back to school at two very different districts. Keen ISD Superintendent Ricky Stevens talks about what it's like to see kids in his building for the first time since March 13th. And Garland ISD Superintendent Ricardo Lopez debriefs the first three days of virtual school with its challenges and successes. But first, here's TASA Executive Director Kevin Brown. Hello, friends. This is Kevin Brown. I hope you're doing well, and I've been thinking about you an awful lot during this very difficult time as you make plans to restart the school year. Some of you have already done that, and some are about to, but all of you have been creative, you've been innovative, in trying to figure out a way to keep your staff and your students safe and healthy, uh, to allow for as many students to come in person as possible, to stand up remote learning as strong and robust as you can, and to even provide hybrid opportunities in many cases. This is gonna be a tough year, there's no mistaking it, Um, but I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing, the leadership you're providing, and uh, the service that you're providing to your community. Thanks for all you're doing. Let us know if we can be of help to you in any way possible. This week's episode is brought to you by iStation. Winner of several National Educational and Technology Awards, the iStation program puts more instructional time in the classroom through small group and collaborative instruction. iStation's innovative reading, math, and Spanish programs immerse students in an engaging and interactive environment and inspire them to learn. Additionally, administrators and educators can use iStation to easily track the progress of their students, schools, and classrooms. iStation now serves over 4 million students throughout the United States and several other countries. Visit www.istation.com. You can find the links in our show notes. Keen ISD was one of the first districts in Texas to reopen for the fall. Their first day of in-person learning was on August 4th. Located about 50 miles southwest of Dallas, Keen ISD will look familiar to most Texas administrators. It's got a little over 1,000 students enrolled and has 82% economically disadvantaged. It's definitely rural, but it's close enough to DFW and Waco to feel connected. Their superintendent, Ricky Stevens, is a proud embodiment of his community. Connected to the people and the values of the area, he also takes pride in being a progressive leader in education. He's worked with his team to bring forward their own ever-expanding STEM fair that is a highlight for the local community with food trucks and pet adoptions on site. And walk through his elementary hallways and he will take you into classrooms with stages, flexible seating, multi-level reading areas, and empowered teachers eager to show off what their students can do. Ricky Stevens, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast, our first show back from our kind of summer hiatus. Your STEM fair was the very last uh, event that I went to, that I actually physically went to, and Burger Barn is the (laughs) last restaurant that uh, I ate in. It was, I think it was like March 6th. You know, when you told me that yesterday, that was the last time you had eaten out. I'm like, wow, that, that's been a while. That seems like a year ago. It's only been about five or six months. Well, you know, you know our steam fair was our big thing in the spring when we uh, brought all our kids at the Civic Center. It was, a, it was a big ordeal. You know, we were ready for the spring to really take off. And that Friday, we get a letter from, I think it was that Friday, we get a letter from the governor saying that, you know, we got some issues. So, we have an extra day at spring break. See you next Tuesday. Well, next Tuesday, we didn't realize it was August the 4th. So thinking about the first day of school, how did you make that first day of school, particularly for your young, young kids, feel special and, and feel like what maybe you were hoping that they would get out of a first day of school? But we had had our first day of school the last three years had been all about connecting with kids. 
And so the way that we tried this year to do it is our first week of school, we really stressed our teachers, don't fall into the trap that you've got to catch up March, April, and May, the first four days of school. It's not going to happen. What we need to catch up on is we need to reconnect with our kids. Our kids need to know we love them. They need to know that we're here for them, and they need some sense of normalcy. When you look on social media, you hear what parents are saying, you hear what kids are saying. They're saying it felt like real school. Well, if you can follow the safety guidelines and still have them say that it feels like a normal school day, that really is a win. Um, what planning went into starting um, so early, um, August 4th? Um, you know, that, that's one of the earliest in the state. It was very important to us that we did not knee-jerk reaction to a schedule because of the pandemic. So we really took time to, to investigate the balanced calendar. Because we, if we went to it, we wanted to go to it because we felt like it was the academically best thing for us to do. We know within a district of 82% socioeconomically disadvantaged that the summer slide for us is real. And we saw the calendar as a way down in the future to prevent some of that summer slide. And then it also helped with the pandemic. So we decided in May that we would go ahead and start August the 4th, two weeks off in October, a uh, week off in November, three weeks off in Christmas, two weeks off in spring break and stretch it out. So whenever we came, got halfway through the summer and all of a sudden the health authorities started shutting down counties, we looked at the data of our local pandemic numbers we met with our local health official, and we just didn't see that the disadvantages of bringing them back outweighed the disadvantages of keeping them home. Because we know that students at home, especially in districts like ours, are suffering from mental issues, nutritional issues, developmental issues. So we really wanted to bring them back if we could. The numbers seemed to say we could. And so we stayed with it. What is the percentage of students uh, or families who've chosen to be back in school in person? And what's the percentage that are doing a form of distance learning at this point? Or are there any? We have about 80% of our kids back in campus. So we're at about 80-20. That's a little different on the elementary campus. It's a little more virtual, but not much. Mm -hmm. We sent out a form about a month ago asking our parents whether they would send them back or not. And it pretty much followed suit. We had about 75% or 74% of our family say they were going to come to school. And in reality, it'll be about 80. We've probably had three or four that started school and chose to go virtual. Probably had 15 to 20 who started virtual and have already decided to come back. Our, our policy is they can come back every nine weeks. Like that if we have, you know, some kids that have to go home for 10, 14 days due to someone testing positive, we're obviously going to give them the option of coming right back whenever they're cleared. Our deadline actually from TEA, you know, they say that we could get, have to give them the first two weeks of school to change their mind. So our deadline actually is next Monday. So mm -hmm. this Thursday, Friday, we'll start putting out stuff to our parents that are virtual that are saying, hey, if you're wanting to change your mind and come back, you've got to let us know by Monday. I'm really interested to see if when the parents are all of a sudden afforded the opportunity to return, how many of them take it at that point? Sure. <clears throat> well, especially, and, and a lot of that I'm sure will depend on the numbers in your area. Our numbers, though, at, in Keene, we've got less than 1% of our population has tested positive over the last six months. So our numbers are down. Other areas of our county are lower and some are higher. I think we have 70 
total cases over six months in our in our town. And so that was one of the main reasons that we started. And it's one of the things that's great about local control mm-hmm. is that we're able to look and our seven board members were able to look and in consultation with our local health official, we were making a decision that was best for our kids that might not have been best for someone else's. Um, you know, thinking about that 82% of economically disadvantaged students that you have, um, were you worried that whenever school started back that you would lose kids, not just lose them in camp for on campus, but that they wouldn't come back? Yeah, absolutely. We run about 1050, 1060, and I was afraid that we might show up with 860 and not know where 100 of them were. Mm-hmm. Very pleased. Our numbers yesterday were 1,045 which is more than we ended with last year. Oh, wow. So very pleased, very surprised. Yeah, that that, would, that was my biggest fear. And it's also probably my biggest uh, relief. For the virtual, how do you make sure that virtual is not less than where people who are choosing virtual are, are feeling like they're getting an inferior experience? We're, we're having that discussion among ourselves. Teachers typically are perfectionists and they want to reach every child, every need and every day. And they're struggling with the fact that although they're doing the same, it's not the same because there's something about being able to look a student in the eyes, seeing their inflection in their voice, seeing how they're, they're reacting to what you're teaching. That is what coming to school is all about. So that's a difficult thing. Now we require the same things. They're actually live sitting in class with us. So when we check them all, the synchronous all the other schools, you're synchronous right, the entire synchronous. time. Yes, sir. So they're having the same expectations. They're having the same assignments, having the same interaction, but it is hard. How do you, how do you do a computer screen, get the same feeling as sitting in a classroom with 10 kids? It's difficult. Teachers are working hard at it. That's probably the biggest challenge of the first week, but it is, we had a meeting Friday after school, every Friday at a three I've got 10 teachers from each campus total coming together with my principals for a COVID debrief. Just so we'll know, hey, where are we at? Look at our numbers. How are our kids doing? And that was the question last Friday was, how do we make sure we're not shortchanging those kids online? It was a great question. You you, you have these debriefs uh, with your staff um, about the COVID numbers and about just, just the, I'm sure everything that affects the opening of school right now. What are your plans in case there is a, an outbreak, you know, or what's what's the plan if if uh, just one kid um, comes to school and we find out that that they uh, the next day have COVID? One of the things that everybody opening schools got to realize is that you're going to get cases of COVID. No doubt. If you didn't open school, you're still going to get cases of COVID. So I think the first thing you have to do is go into this thing with an open eyes to realize it's not if it's when. We're fortunate to have a very good relationship with our local health authority. That helps because we have a resource that I can text at any time and get advice. But our plan is, and we've had this happen a few times already. You know, you get a kid with symptoms. And when I tell people that we've had some kids with symptoms, they're like, oh my gosh, their eyes get big. I have to remind them that especially at the elementary school, that nurse's office is probably the busiest office in the entire school all year long. And so when we have them coming up, and they've got something that could be a, a symptom, we're erring on the side of caution and we're sending them home. So far, I've gone and tested and all have tested negative. If a kid comes into the nurse's office and they have these symptoms, we have a triage station set up outside the nurse's station. So we don't want to cross-contaminate the nurse's office. 
So they go to this spot we've got out in the hallway and they're, they're tested for symptoms. If the nurse thinks they have symptoms, they're sent into our isolation room. And then that triage station is deep cleaned real quick, which is easy because it's, it's only one table. And so, or one chair, sorry. So they go in that way. And then what we do is if they have symptoms, we pull that class out of the classroom and we clean that classroom. We bought an electrostatic uh, sprayer about two weeks ago. And so our athletic director has access to it and he's kind of on call and he's gone to every one of these rooms so far, but he'll come over, he'll spray that room down. We let it sit for a little while and then we bring the kids back in mask as always and just have school. Now where that's gonna be interesting is, is when a kid actually tests positive. When a kid positive, that triggers, you know, our notices to parents and notices to staff. And so in that kind of a case, it'll be where we notify the campus and the teachers and then we will personally notify each of the kids in that class and let them know that they have the option of staying home for 14 days and going synchronous. Fortunately, because we're wearing the mask and we are practicing social distance, we are able to clean that room and do a deep cleaning and then let those kids that want to come back, mask up and continue school. Which uh, age groups are wearing the mask? We have everybody wearing the mask um, in transit. Anytime they're in the public, anytime they're moving throughout the school, pre-K through 12 wears the mask. Third grade and below, which is the nine-year-olds and under, when they're in the classroom, it's teacher option. And to be honest with you, I walked through yesterday and I saw some pre-K kids with the mask on doing work. And I saw some classes with them below their nose doing work and some classes with them not wearing them doing the work. At nine and under, we've given the teachers, you know, whatever they feel comfortable with. Fourth grade and above, they wear them every, all the time, obviously, except when they're exercising, which is PE, recess, or athletics, or when they're eating. So pretty much mask up all day. And to be honest, I thought that was going to be one of our biggest things we had to deal with was kids not wanting to wear the mask. Mm -hmm. but they, they've gone by the rules so well. It, it's amazing. It's, it's, I talked to the principals yesterday, and it's really a non-issue about kids not wearing masks. It's been really great to talk to you. I think the last question I want to ask of you is, what was it like on August 4th to walk through your different campuses and see kids finally back in the building? Let me tell you, I was just proud. When I walked through the campuses and I saw the way the teachers were reacting and I saw the smile on those kids' faces and I saw the parents and then I started reading the Facebook posts from the parents, thanking the teachers and thanking the district. It was a sense of pride. I'll tell you one story though before we go, Eric, that probably was, I'll remember the rest of my, my life. I'm walking down the hall at the elementary school that first morning before eight o'clock while parents are bringing the kids in. We allowed pre-K and kindergarten parents to walk their kids to class. I'm walking down the hall and I hear this little girl behind me. She said, mommy, mommy, can you see me smiling under here? And I turned around and this girl's got this full face mask on, asking her mama, can you see her smiling? And from her eyes up, it was the most beautiful little girl I'd ever seen in my life. And she was excited. She was smiling with her eyes and she was just wanting to know if her mama could see her smiling. Uh, that let me realize that's why we brought them back. Ricky, cool. That is a great place to end. Thank you so much for your time. Maybe you and, and your assistant principal can come back on the, the podcast and uh, we'll actually get to do that, that STEM fair right this year. That'd be awesome. And we definitely go get a burger too. That's part of the plan. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Thank thanks, you. Eric. I appreciate it, man. Educating 55,000 students across 72 campuses, Garland ISD ranks as the fifth largest in DFW 
15th largest in Texas and is among the 75 largest in America. GISD students speak over 100 different languages, and the district encompasses three cities and neighborhoods of public housing, working-class neighborhoods, upper-middle-class suburbs, and million-dollar-plus lakeside McMansions. They are technology-driven in their campuses, with magnet programs and approximately 200 career and technical education courses. Superintendent Ricardo Lopez took the helm in 2018. He spent years in Isleta ISD and was superintendent in Mission Consolidated School District before Garland. His ties to the El Paso area have influenced his collaborative leadership approach, and some of his initiatives, including the new academic calendar he's put into place in response to the pandemic, have spread back to his old stomping grounds. Lopez made time to visit with me to talk about that calendar, as well as what it's like to be four days into their first four weeks of virtual learning. Ricardo Lopez, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you for making time on your fourth day of, of school. Um, you started on August 10th, right? Oh, yeah. You know, we went ahead and uh, we started a little early uh, compared to the rest of the state. I appreciate that. We're off and running. And um, thank you for having me on, on this show. First off, you know, uh, I know that on day one, you had, uh, it was August 10th. So we're talking on, on the Thursday after that. Um, how did August 10th go? Like, what were the what were the highlights? And what were the challenges that some of the teachers, students, parents, you, <laughs> you know, the things that y'all faced? You know, um, the first step in every, every journey is always the most difficult one to take. And so opening schools, it seemed like to bring up the sum of all fears with everyone. Uh, we put a new instructional platform with Canvas. We had a learning management system that we we saw a void in during um, our spring, I guess you could call experience. And so what we wanted to do is create a better learning experience for our kids. And so we had to integrate, train. Uh, there's never enough training when it comes to technology, and we had to kick off. And one of the things we did have is our teachers report to campuses to do their professional development and their teaching. So you're bringing people out of their, their environment and bringing them into a new environment. And they've been in that environment since March. And they're watching news. They're on the social media networks. and. And so um, a lot of school districts in our area decided to back off from that stance, and we didn't. And I'm going to tell you, it was the best thing. I get more compliments about having them come to face-to-face -face and working with each other, our, um, our, our guidelines that we're making them follow. That was, that was a hit. So then the first day, the first day started off rocky in the morning. Uh, what happened was, um, because it was a new platform, not everybody... You know, we have 55,000 students, so we didn't have them all start. Even though we did instructional videos, we did parent meetings, we did all these things, a lot of them didn't open their laptops and log in till that day. And that created some backlog, that created some frustrations, uh, that created some angst. Then a power grid went out in our most populated area. So I don't think it was due to everybody using their computer, but, you know, that added more angst. But I will tell you what, the power got on at 1030 in the morning. By 12 o'clock, we had the majority of our issues done. It was a successful first day, and then it's been building momentum ever since. I've been visiting campuses. I've been watching people log in uh, virtually. I've been getting a lot of feedback. Uh, what is now what we're seeing is that it depends now on your home network and your home device. If you don't have a district device, if you opt out to not take one of our district devices, you, we find people haven't updated their platform, so uh, we're walking them through that. 
but now those are are small and few and we're rocking and rolling it was i would say we started off shaky and and if it progressed we're like we would have been in been in some little boiling water but we got this extraordinary team and we were able to rebound by midday by the end of the day we were in full swing well let's talk a little bit about the uh let's put that into perspective because you have 55 over 55,000 students in Garland how many students have you been able to connect with um this first week do you have any numbers on kind of how many people wow. have been able to yeah. make contact so um on the first day as we were able to get 84% um and you know that's from asynchronous synchronous uh different type of platforms um then the second day that jumped up to about 88% and now we're in the mid 90s so that so to clarify that yeah. that first day you met with about 84% right 84% then it went up to about 88 and now we're in the 90s which is yes. Pretty normal in attendance if you if you really think about it for this right. time, right? You know, we 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 um, equate it to all the kids that were doing late registration, right? Barely showing up, still trickling in. You know, and and the funny thing was, we even had kids that were dropped off at school, and they were new enrollees, and they were like, "No, we're virtual. You got to go home." So, uh, all of those those learning experiences uh, made us laugh. We didn't we didn't stress over it. it it's it's just. What it is, but you're at. If you work in the school system, you know that, you know traditionally what you do, you do your first day attendance, and then you drop everybody that was a no show, right? And then you're building your attendance back up from there, from everybody who's coming in, and then everybody waits for the infamous Labor Day, and their their um, their numbers start to stabilize. It was kind of the same thing. Well, if you if you look at the number of of students on the first day of school in a normal school year. Learning, you know, actual class time doesn't start for hours that first day because people right. are in their schedules, they're getting to their rooms, particularly for high school. There's always the, the group of kids who are in the cafeteria or in the gym waiting to get their schedule because they are late enrolled or, or whatnot. I mean, some of this is just the logistics of moving everybody to where they're supposed to be for the first time in a large system. You. You obviously worked at a high school. You know the whole gamut of what happens in a high school. Yeah, the first day of a high school, absolutely. You got people sectioned off everywhere, schedule changes, late arrivals, uh, parents coming in to ensure that uh, they get the right teacher, uh, you name it. And it and the first week, actually the first two weeks are intense. You all were one of the first districts to really completely reimagine your calendar in response to the pandemic, to make sure that um, the calendar is responsive to the needs of our most vulnerable learners and not just um, because we've always done it that way. And so you put forward a, a calendar that was um, disruptive uh, in many ways, right? So we talked to me a little bit about the community response and how you got input. We needed to do something different. And so, um, Back back whenever I was um, a teacher and an assistant principal, and I was in the Isleta district for 18 years, great district, it, it, there's a lot of innovation that goes there. But there was a neighboring district that had a year-round calendar for quite some time. I never worked in it, but I saw the benefits of it. I saw a lot of people that thrived in it. And a matter of fact, a lot of um, employees, that when they came from Socorro to Isleta, uh, they talked about the value of that calendar. Um, 
Never in my wildest dreams was that something part of the protocols I wanted to bring forward. But as we were strategizing on how to intervene in real time, um, that calendar came up. Um, the, the board really trusted our, our team and myself in putting this forward because nobody in North, North Texas has done it. And when nobody does it, nobody has a context on how it works, no matter how, how much you explain it. It just goes back to certain experiences that they had. I want to end in May. I want a three-month summer. You know, they forget how miserable August is. Give me October any day. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Once we do that, you watch. That's going to be the new normal. And so what happened was um, we, we just started building a framework. And then we put out some some surveys. And we did it with teachers. We did it. And, and what we, we didn't focus on the traditional calendar we just put out two calendars and said, we explained it all with videos. We did everything. And we said, does this help kids in real time? And if it is, yes, which calendar do you think would help them the most? I got 60% um, of my kids that need that extra help. And what was amazing, I was talking to one of my uh, parents about this, and he was totally against the calendar. And I said the same thing three different times. So we got to remember, we're in an emotional state. They heard it, but they didn't feel it. By the third time... He turned to me and said, you know, if this is going to be what is best for kids, it's not best for my family because my family's solid. But if it's best for all those other kids, I'm going to be your number one supporter. We started off what I consider intercession light. So we have one week off in October, one week off in um, March. But what the board did was approve two years of calendars. So that way they don't think, oh, we're just going to wait this out and go back to traditional. The next year... Uh, of course, we're going to have a two-week break now in um, in October. One week will be for intercession. We're adding a full week of intercession in winter to catch kids up. And then we're adding a, that week again in uh, the right before spring break. So we're going to be able to catch up kids in real time. With the understanding that, you know, these gaps in learning took years to amass. And so, I mean, we, we always kind of forget how long it took to grow these gaps. And then we think, right. oh, well, how quickly can we get rid of these gaps? Like, oh, it may right. take a while. So what are you hoping to see from, from this new experience? What we're planning to do is we use map testing. We're really going to be analyzing how kids go in pre-COVID. Um, you know, pre we're going to be doing map testing within the next few weeks or, or during the COVID pandemic. Then we're going to be doing a mid-year to see how much they've progressed. And we're going to be seeing if these learning modules actually work. But these aren't just regulated to kids to want to catch up, but these are kids to accelerate. So in October, we're going to be doing PSAT uh, module. In March, it's going to be about AP testing. It's going to be about IB testing. It's going to be about SAT prep. It's all going to be relevant to students and their needs. We feel that there's deficiencies, not only what's happening in class, but our expected outcomes. So we expected uh, higher CCMR rates. Um, from it, TSI testing, um, you name it, that's going to be embedded in our program. And we're really banking on tens of thousands of students attending these seminars. Where else has this uh, calendar spread? Because uh, I've, I've read that um, back back in that far West Texas area that there's been some, some districts who've adopted it. Yeah, you know, in the Talos network, we saw Corpus Christi uh, go ahead and do it. So we're real proud of uh, Dr. Hernandez and what he did over there. Uh, we've seen some spots in Houston and Aldine and um, 
we are really excited about the entire El Paso area really kicked up full gear. Um, you know, you have Juan Cabrera in El Paso Independent School District who did it, Dr. Espinosa that has been doing it, um, uh, Dr. De La Torre, um, he's doing it in Isleta. Clint started it, um, Canantillo is starting it. So that whole region is going to have the same calendar and the continuity and consistency that's going to happen there, it's really going to help kids. It's going to help parents. It, it, I mean, they're ahead of the game in West Texas. Ricardo, thank you so much for being part of our podcast today and being so generous with your time, particularly on the fourth day of school. Right. Um, no, absolutely. Ricardo Lopez will be back on our show in a few weeks to delve deeper into Garland's response to social justice reform and how his tenure as this year's president of the Texas Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents has been affected by conversations about equity raised by the Black Lives Matter movement. Our next episode will feature social-emotional learning expert Flip Flippin as he discusses how he builds SEL and relationships into his virtual trainings and how to navigate the difficult conversations of social justice in the midst of the turmoil of this new school year. We thank all of you for tuning in to the TASA Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thanks to Ricky Stevens and Ricardo Lopez for this week's interviews. Thank you to our sponsor, iStation, and a shout out to Marco De La Cueva, who designed our new podcast graphics, and Albert Rebus for setting up our new audio format on Podbean. Until next time, from all of us at TASA World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.